This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Matrix is a computer generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. As you folks may have noticed, I took the last couple of days off. My mother came into town last minute, sort of a surprise. She came up from Texas to Maryland with my stepfather, who's an engineer, Yes, 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 he's one of these technocrats, and uh, he had some business to do in Pennsylvania, so she came, and then she spent the last few days here hanging out with Willie G and my mother-in-law, who is about to uh, leave in a couple days to go back to Poland, so I ended up taking a couple days off, but I was working. I just didn't record a show because I never had a two-hour block of free time to sit down and record, but it's allowed me to sort of clear my head. I've got a lot more stuff now in my head, a lot uh, a lot more ideas. I've been talking to some colleagues of mine about some ideas I came up with for expanding the show uh, and creating another series, actually. So it was actually worth it, folks. Also, I've been texting back and forth with Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays, and with Wide Awake Jim. So Wide Awake Jim is almost done with the book Earth Brokers, and he's been sending over all kinds of information, highlighted pages from the book, really showing how the bankers plan to go into the so-called third world countries with these indigenous folks, these primitive folks, and then take over the countries and then force them to adopt industrialized technology. We'd call that technocracy. uh, And then essentially call them polluters once they had it and then force them further into technocracy. I mean, it's such a racket, folks. And I see people out there on twitter still arguing over wwe wrestling over biden versus trump uh, still talking you know about covid land the high school theater production constantly and no one realizes that the issue is the worldwide 
technocracy and the way this works folks it's very simple and many of you may have figured this out years ago but we just didn't connect it into technocracy and this culture of technology is that everywhere that has a central bank all right and all the central banks are consolidated under the bank for international settlements under the world bank every country that has one and and it's over 190 folks there there's they say there's like eight or nine countries that don't have a central bank but when you dig into it you see that they actually do it's just not the same setup so it, it, they, basically every country uh, has a central bank and the big bankers at the top call this the um the uh, one currency system or the world currency system uh, whether you're using a paper u.s dollar fiat cash or you're using uh, you know polish money or canadian money it's all a one currency system the central bankers control it here in the united states we have the federal reserve banking system and then we have what 12 or 13 federal reserves around the country and they say that's how they keep it decentralized it's such a joke it's such a joke and and now that jim has this book earth brokers which is fantastic really fantastic i mean i've been reading it as he's been sending me highlighted pages and it just further proves what's going on. But it was written by these two environmental activists who joined up with the cause because they thought they were going to go out and save the planet. And once they got inside the game, they realized that that industry, the climate change hustle, the green graft, was controlled by the very industrialists who actually pollute and destroy the planet. So it's this giant hoax folks and and what's going on is that they are pinning the pollution on the co2 we obviously hear all the narrative the propaganda the tag words coming out of people like bill gates going back to 2010 at his ted talks net zero carbon we have to get to net zero carbon and the way we're going to do that is more industrialization more technology we created the problems with technology we provoked your reaction oh the planet is being poisoned and now we're going to offer the solution, more technology, when in fact, the real solution is less technology. The real solution is to scale back industrialization. And this comes in the form of manufacturing, to process foods, to how they do industrialized farming. And so over the last couple of days, there is a show on uh, Netflix, okay, and my wife and I have watched this show because we both love to cook. Uh, we're cooking all the time, folks, and I really want to escape to this West Virginia homestead. It's like my dream, my dream to go out there, build a commercial kitchen, outdoor kitchen, and be able to just cook all the time. So this show is really good. It's called Chef's Table, and I just want to show you this because it really ties in to what we've been talking about here, and it ties in to this stuff that Wide Awake Jim is sending me from Earth Brokers. It's like all these different data points that I'm taking in are all coming together and meshing, and I can see the complete puzzle. Uh, so I'm going to put this up on the screen. This is Netflix. I know a lot of us have boycotted Netflix. Don't worry. I don't subscribe to Netflix. I use my mother's login for Netflix. So that, that's, that's how I fight back against the system. You're not going to get my $9 a month. Um, so I'm over here at Netflix. I, I just want to show you this. It's called Chef's Table. And I think there's uh, six 
episode uh, six seasons there might be five or six episodes in each season the cinematography in these is fantastic all right they're about 45 minutes to an hour each and each episode features uh one chef uh and they have chefs from all around the world from the united states to italy to france to spain brazil i mean uh, you know thailand chefs from all over the place and it's done like a mini documentary on each one so over the last uh, few days that I haven't recorded a show, my wife and I have been watching one or two of these at night. Um, you know, when I escape from politics or from doing the show, I like to watch stuff that's still educational and inspiring, right? This is the type of stuff I would let Willie G watch because uh, a lot of these chefs are inspiring. Some of them are shallow. Okay, we, we get about two minutes of the episode. You can tell the chef is very shallow. He thinks too highly of himself. Boom, we turn that off. But I wanted to show you a few episodes here that uh, I'm not going to play them. I just want to show you uh, a few if you want to take a look at this because you're going to pick up a lot of information as you're starting to make the case of technology versus nature. And don't worry, we're going to get back to uh, Ted Kaczynski today because there's some really good information that I found on that. But I, I really wanted to share this with you. So this one here, his name is Dario uh, Ciccini, D-A-R-I-O-C-E. C-C-H-I-N-I. Fantastic guy. Eighth generation butcher uh, from Italy. It says here, charismatic Tuscan butcher Dario Ciccini grew up eating every part of the cow but steak. Now he's out to change how the world thinks about meat. Very inspiring. He only speaks Italian, so they have a voiceover on this. Inspiring gentleman. He actually was going to leave the family business. And this is part of actually what has uh, caused a lot of our problems, folks. Uh, as the world has become more connected with uh, mass transit and airplanes and telephone and Internet, what happens is folks uh, push their kids to leave the nest. Uh, and, and what has happened, and it started in Western culture, but now it's in the East as well. And so whether the kid grows up with his family owning a farm, an old school farm that happens to be organic because all the old food was organic or they own a butcher shop or they own a restaurant or they own a pastry cafe. You're going to see this play out uh, time and time again here. Look at my wife from Poland. Her and her brother both left the home. She came to America 20 years ago. Her brother's in Germany. Well, you wouldn't see that before. All right, so families would stick together. I mean, this is even in the United States, right, in the last 50, 60 years, really post-World War II. And then we go, oh, my God, this country is losing its culture, or this neighborhood is losing its culture. It's because we connected up through the Internet, and we connected up through airplanes, and people left. Then what happens is a lot of folks go off into the world for 10, 12, 15 years. You're going to see with some of these chefs, they come home. They go, I want to go back home to the family farm. I want to cook the fresh food of my country and they realize their country has been completely taken over by the International Monetary Fund, uh, by the uh, World Bank, and just destroyed and gutted and turned into a shithole Lego community like what's happening all over the United States. So that's one of the things, man. Uh, if you want to stop this from happening, you got to keep your kids home. So this is part of what I call demographic warfare, where we've uh, created fake wars, pushed people out of their countries, created fake refugees, drove them into other countries, that we blend all these cultures together inside all these countries, but we actually lose the Italian culture and the Spanish culture and the French culture and the cultures that we had here 
in the United States. And, and that's what's happening. It's all part of it, folks. This was part of building the technocracy, all done through the world bankers, through the banksters, through these economic hitmen. This is how it's done. So I would check out Dario Ciccini. One of the things fantastic about this gentleman, all right, is... Again, eighth-generation butcher. When he was a kid, he would go out into the hills of Tuscany with his father, and they would meet with the farmers who would raise the cattle, I mean, beautiful cattle, and he was brought up to respect the animal and to give the animal the best life as possible when it was alive. And then as a butcher, your job was to respect the death of that animal by making sure every part of the animal was used and nothing went to waste. So Dario actually wanted to become a veterinarian uh, and take care of the animals. So he actually left the home. He went out to veterinarian school. Uh, his father ended up getting sick. He came home and he had to become a butcher to be able to carry on the family legacy and to put food on the table for the family. Fantastic gentleman. So down to earth. Uh, watch this one because you're going to see what happens uh, when you carry on the family business. Uh, really, really great. Um, another episode here, which was really fantastic. Let me see if I can find it. Um, okay, this one, Bo Song Vasiva. Okay, she's a Thai cuisine cook. Really good. Uh, and this one, her and her husband, Okay, they live in Bangkok. He's Australian. He's a chef, and she met him actually working in his kitchen in London. And he was a Thai chef, and she realized why was she learning to cook Thai from this Australian guy? And in Thailand, especially in Bangkok, even the locals weren't cooking Thai food the way it was supposed to be done with old world organic foods. And so she talks a lot about how Thailand has been completely industrialized. All the ingredients have been westernized. They're all processed. And so her and her husband go on these far-ranging quests to go find these true organic farmers. I mean, you'll see how far they have to go out of the way. But what I didn't realize here is uh, most of the foods in Thailand even have been GMO. They're using pesticides. Everything is done based on the industrialized model uh, pushed out by the United States and across the world. So you're going to want to watch this one. Now, unfortunately, uh, this woman, Bo Song Visiva, it's B-O is the first name, and then it's S-O-N-G-V-I-S-A-V-A. And it says right here, frustrated by the dearth of authentic Thai cuisine, Bo Song Vasiva revives bold, complex local flavors in her sustainable Bangkok restaurant. Now, unfortunately, you know, she, she's talking about fighting back against this industrial food production and trying to support local farmers. And then she's got this whole side thing, at least that's the way they made the show, that she's a big net carbon, you know, net zero carbon pusher. So either she's dumb, they turn the show into propaganda, or she's, you know, part of the system pushing the fake, um, the fake propaganda of net zero carbon instead of get the industrialists the hell out of our country which is really what uh, she should be focused on. But that one, I'd recommend watching. Okay, then you've got uh, season four here. 
And this person, uh, let me see, where did it go, folks? I don't see. Oh, Corrado Ascenza. All right, it's C O R R A D O A S S E N Z A. It says, inspired by the orchards and farms of his native Sicily. Uh, Corrado Ascenza turns out rich gelatos, almond gran- uh, granitas, crispy cannoli, and other delicacies. Fourth generation pastry maker. He gets into how Sicily, even, all the local organic farms have been destroyed. This guy went on a personal mission to save the almond farms. Um, They've been destroyed. He talks about how they're building all these pop-up townhouse communities all over Sicily, strip malls, and it's basically looking like generic United States at this point. So um, I recommend checking this out, Chef's Table, because you're going to pick up a lot of information about how industrialization has been destroying these countries. And you couple that with the information that Wide Awake Jim's been giving us. And as we review uh, earth brokers with him you're going to see more of that tied in as my research continues as i start to put the big picture together and show how the central banking system has propped up and created the technocracy and unfortunately we're all being driven into this fake you know industrialized technological society and we're losing we're losing our cultures we're losing our food we're losing our health we're losing our sanity folks so i know i there on twitter land there's people talking about communism and socialism and fascism progressivism marxism etc 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 i tell people listen they've all played a part in it but at the end of the day you have to realize that the problem is worldwide technocracy that has been installed at the hands of the central bankster mafia and there's just no way out of it unfortunately i think you have to exit the system and then as far as the rest of the system goes, it's going to collapse eventually like Rome. And that's probably going to be where this all goes, folks, because I don't know how we undo it. I mean, watch these shows and you're just going to see how difficult it is for one chef, one famous chef to try to put their name behind it and save an almond farm, what they have to do to make that happen. Folks, I'll be right back. I want to share a couple other things with you that I gathered over the last couple of days, and then we're going to get back into Kaczynski because there's some mind-blowing stuff we have to go over here. Uh, This is really going to set the stage for the next series that we're going to be doing here at the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold. I'll be right back right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard Podcast. All right, folks, one last one here over at Netflix on Chef's Table that I want to show you. Uh, His name is Alex Atala. We watched this one last night. This is Brazilian chef and adventurer. Alex Atala relies on his wild spirit and love for the Amazon to show diners how an open mind pays off in deliciousness. Now, this guy is like an adventurer. All right. He was an old school punk rocker. Uh, He had left Brazil, went off to Europe, worked in uh, restaurants, came back to Brazil, found that the Amazon 
uh, rainforests were being destroyed. He goes out there to get a lot of fresh ingredients. Another one you want to watch to see what's going on uh, somewhat down in Brazil. This this stuff will spark your interest, and these aren't documentaries on the environment. This is through the eyes of a chef, through the eyes of food, but very important because you're going to see uh, how these people make decisions based on trying to save their culture and save the food. I mean, this is where this stuff needs to go. Um, these are the kind of people that need to be at the forefront of fighting back, these people that have social media accounts. How we tap into them and get them to understand what the real problem is, I haven't figured out yet. But I'm seeing so many stories, and I'm hearing so many personal stories now from you guys reaching out to me at pain.tv slash gold on Twitter, other social media, people in my personal life that know I do the show, so they're always sending me information now. But I'm reading about more and more people being replaced by AI. There's all this beef going on now on Twitter, you know, with OnlyFans, you know, whatever, porn models, but being replaced by artificial intelligence, porn. I mean, this is humans being replaced. And people need to start speaking out against this. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to get this show together with Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays and Wide Awake Jim, to talk about some ideas for this mini documentary series, these micro videos, uh, a big documentary. But I think it's important for you folks to start speaking out whenever you're replaced by robots or machines or AI, or you hear this is coming, people inside the narration business, folks inside of acting, it doesn't matter what political party or ideology you align with or think you align with. This is a worldwide war on humanity to drive us out of existence, and it ends with engineering us out of existence. So people need to start speaking up. If, if some of these narrators, I, I know a gentleman who is uh, a very well-known audiobook narrator. He's also a comedic actor, and he was in some of my corporate comedy shows that I put together. And he is also, I believe right now, the vice president of the audiobook narration business. And he told me AI is, is coming. It's going to replace them. He's got a fairly large organic following because in the narration world, the audiobook narration world, these guys are like mini celebrities. And I said, you've got to start speaking out. You've got to start asking your audience to boycott these books start pointing to the books that are ai now they're caught in a catch-22 as well because the industry's moving that direction so what happens is folks don't want to rock the boat they're afraid they're going to be cut off from doing all the books that are left uh, if they speak out against what the future of the industry is which is ai well you got to make your stand somewhere because if they're going to fully replace you in three or four years what is this three or four years of income matter if you're going to be out of a job out of a career this skill that you have as a human to be able to narrate books that you've perfected god gave you this great voice you perfected that skill they're going to take that away from you people need to start speaking out humans need to start reaching out to other humans we need to awaken from this trance of technology we need to start to tell people what's going on i told you wide awake jim is a friend who was a sports writer and a commentator under uh, comcast and he was just replaced 
by artificial intelligence. And and now it's becoming known because of the stories coming out on chat AI, which comes out of OpenAI, which is Elon Musk and others involved with that. We've covered it here on the show that all of these writers are being replaced by artificial intelligence. And and folks, if you're not going to speak out, I, I don't know where you think this ends. It doesn't end tomorrow. The companies aren't going to stop it. If you're in customer service, you work in a call center. I know, first you were replaced by Indians, and you were replaced by Filipinos and Jamaicans and others. Well, now all of them, you know, the Americans, the Filipinos, the Indians, the Jamaicans are going to be replaced by artificial intelligence. And if folks don't start telling their stories and pointing the finger at these companies and asking folks to boycott them. I know in the case of someone, they were given a $15,000 severance check and they have to shut up and not say anything for six months or a year. That is blood money. It's to keep you quiet so that you don't go out and talk about this. But I'm telling you folks, this is moving at warp speed at this point. Moving at warp speed. And if people don't start to tell their stories on social media, put up a video, talk about it on Facebook. If you're uncomfortable doing that, send it to me at me at DustinGoldShow.com. I will get it out there. I will cover up your name. I'll change your voice, whatever you want me to do. You just need to tell the story. We'll get him to Mike Moore. He's got a huge audience, you know, compared to us. We're six months old about six months old since we started doing it full-time mike's been around for over three years he's got a big audience and mike knows a lot of other people i know a lot of podcasters a lot of youtubers i can get these videos out there but you need to produce them you have to tell the story of what is going on because that's what's going to connect with other humans all right it needs to be done it's not impossible this is the first step all right, I'll tell you, one, one of the other things that I've been looking into the last couple of days, I've had the idea for quite a while. I just don't have, have not had time to do the research. I'm looking into this uh, true crime genre because it's so huge, and, and it's quite interesting. I'm like, when did this true crime stuff become big? And, and there's a lot of stuff actually classified under true crime. Shows like First 48, you know, on television, through uh, true crime podcasts, true crime documentaries, and there's different styles that folks do the true crime stuff in. Well, I really found out when as I was doing research that it kicked off under really Truman Capote, I think in 1967 with his book In Cold Blood, was really the first sort of true crime type of novel that was written. Uh, yet, the industry really came about, sort of the genre came about seven, eight years ago, started off with a podcast called Serial. So I was doing some research on these, listening to different ones. I, I couldn't believe it. I was almost, almost. Um, I mean, it, I was disgusted when I started listening to these with humanity, because one of them, it, it sounds like two valley girls. It sounds like 90210 does true crime. Uh, I won't name the show, but I started listening. I said, all right, let me figure this out. Uh, obviously, they're talking about uh, real-life occurrences where someone uh, murdered a couple of people in the woods or a serial killer uh, will be featured in one of the episodes. But this one, it's two girls. 
and one of them sort of the narrator and then the other one asked questions and it sounds like this so um this girl is like walking through the woods okay it's it's 1962 she's walking through the woods and now remember she doesn't have a cell phone at this time and she's not able to snap pictures for instagram or put up videos on her tiktok so she's walking through the woods and the leaves are crunching it's like crunch 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 oh my god it's so loud and this guy jumps out in front of her and then the other woman says uh um hold on so let me ask you um when he jumped out did he like jump really far was he did he smell was he like a homeless guy and this is seriously one of the top rated ones we're talking 150,000 reviews on apple Podcasts. so then i listened to some others a lot of them are like this uh, i stumble upon another one it's like a southern guy he's sponsored by a beer company and it, very similar but he goes hey how you doing there it's uh, true crime uh, i don't want to say the name of the show true crime x all right and uh we're sponsored by uh, billy bob's beer today we got the refrigerator loaded up we want to thank them for loading up the refrigerator so today's story is about serial killer ted bundy this guy was one crazy dude and then he's got a sidekick named uh, captain and so <laughs> i'm listening to these like wow wow these things have huge ratings people are listening to this so i have this idea which is why i'm doing research into the true crime genre i'm saying how could we reach folks uh that listen to this true crime stuff what's the psychology behind true crime why are people listening to true crime and so i start reading a lot of articles uh about the psychology i'm doing my research obviously i do with with everything i'm interested in and i find that what happens is first off people one are driven by this desire to go primitive again right just to go out and start killing people uh because we're trapped in our cubicles all day or sitting at home in our in our 10 by 10 home office staring into zoom working on digital projects for our digital company out in cyberspace meaningless work that does not change the world we're just doing busy work all day for money and so there's that aspect to it second is there's this whole uh, philosophy behind this this idea or this psychology behind this idea that people feel safer knowing a gruesome story about someone else who was kidnapped murdered tortured and killed and it didn't happen to them so it makes them feel secure so i mean this is what happens as we get further away uh from what our dna is wired to do as ted kaczynski talked about in industrial society and its future all right so i'm doing the research into the psychology behind this and then at the same time i'm studying all these different true crime episodes i'm looking at the comments what people are saying about these and i've got this idea in my head of how we could maybe tap into this true crime genre 
because there's a lot of big TikTokers. And as you know, I'm not a TikToker, but a lot of big TikTokers that cover true crime. And if you could get them to talk about or promote your podcast, all of a sudden you're reaching one or two million people. So I started looking at the quality of the true crime podcast. Go, man, we could put something together better than this. But I obviously don't want to tell stories about individual uh, kids or women that were kidnapped in a state park and then tortured. I mean, to me, it's a little gruesome. And all these people are doing is just really reading news stories and trying to make it sound somewhat exciting, even though most of the shows are just terrible. I mean, terrible. Um, the, the vast majority of them are these valley girls that do what I was telling. Oh my God, Marissa. So she jumps out of the woods and then like, what happened? Did her flip-flops fall off? Did she drop her Prada purse? Oh my God, she didn't run back to get it. And that's what we're dealing with, folks. So when I get back, let me just tell you a little bit about this idea because I started working on a demo the last couple of days. And it ties into what we're doing here but may allow us to launch this into another genre and hopefully reach more people with our message. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dust of Gold with the Dust of Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dust and Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold. Folks, I like all the uh, old stuff. I'm an old soul. I always have been. Always have been. I've had this uh, greaser haircut since I was about 25. That's when I decided I was an old soul. So uh, I copied it actually from a photograph of my paternal grandfather, Louis Gold. And there was a photo of him when he was 18, 19 years old. He had this cool greaser cut. And I modeled it off him. I'm a quarter Japanese, and I have Japanese hair. It's straight. So if I don't have anything in my hair, it looks like I work at a Chinese restaurant, like a line cook at a Chinese restaurant with sort of the puffy black hair that goes straight forward. Of course, now it's salt and pepper. Uh, that happened over the last few years. But... Um, but yeah, so I, I have only limited options. With my, I can have my head shaved, which doesn't work because I have big ears. Uh, or I can have my hair long and a ponytail, which I had for many years, but I don't like it. I don't like the long hair. Or um, it could be kind of a short, messy flat top or this. This is pretty much it. So I went with this one. And uh, when it's cut nice, I got to get a haircut actually tomorrow. When it's cut nice, it... Uh, it works well, folks. It's brandable, too. It's brandable. Because uh, I, I had this before the hipsters started getting this haircut. So so anyway, right? So we're in the middle. I'm breathing, I listen to all these true crime shows. So I've got this idea. Because I like all this old stuff. I like uh, Rod Sterling, Twilight Zone, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, um, you know, Vincent Price. All these sort of old kind of creepy characters. So I got this idea for this true crime thing where I want to tell the stories. I'm not going to 
give it all away. But I want to tell the stories of all of these butchers throughout history that no one has actually labeled as butchers. So some of these eugenicists coming out of Harvard back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, Howard Scott, you know, the founder of technocracy, all the way up to people like Ray Kurzweil, you know, sort of the, the, the modern popularizer of singularity, the merger of man and machine, Peter Thiel, Elon Musk. So taking each of these and making sort of a true crime episode out of them. But instead of just live commentary, I'm going to do it like a first 48 uh, with music and sound effects and different voices um, uh, and tell the story in like a mini documentary form and actually show the real butchers, you know, as people are fascinated by these serial killers that kill four people. Uh, okay, I've got Bill Gates over here who literally uh, has killed millions of people. So I think we can take this and figure out how to package it and get it into the true crime genre. So I started uh, recording a demo. Uh, I've got a new, um, I, I have a Adobe sweet says i use photoshop illustrator i use premiere for video editing and i've never used audition i usually edit in a program called audacity i've just been doing it for years so i decided i wanted to switch over to audition because you can do a lot more with it so i decided the last couple days in between hanging out with my mom i was going to learn audition so i've been playing around with that and i decided let me make a demo of this true crime show and it's coming out really good i started off with uh, peter teal and i decided uh, I'm actually going to roll it back, and I think the first one is going to be on the Sidney Gottlieb, the MK Ultra CIA chemist, right? And so I, I've got a very unique, unique way we're doing it, where you set up this person as sort of a pillar of the community, and then you slowly lift the veil and open the curtain and show the monster behind the curtain. And I have to figure out, uh, using the same model, the same psychology that true crime uses, because if I turn the listener into the victim, it might actually turn people off. So I have to figure out a way that this is going to work. But I think it opens us up to a new genre instead of just talking to folks that are interested in uh, what we're discussing here. Okay, and, and this is very difficult because I had to pigeonhole myself into this news commentary. That's really all we fit into. You have to pick a category. Um, through the podcast syndicators. And just like Mike Moore with the Thomas Paine podcast, he's news commentary. I don't really cover the news, so I'm not news commentary. And But but that's what I had to choose in order to pick a category. So I'm thinking of creating this true crime series. Now, this would be highly produced. So it would take me several hours to write it because it's almost going to be done like a radio play so to write it then record it and put it all together might be a 10 12 hour process if i if i can streamline it which i'm hoping to do so i'd basically put out two of these shows a week would be the ultimate goal in the beginning it would be one a week and so most of the true crime is about one hour episodes so i would do a one hour episode and then i talked to my buddy steve jeffrey who would be great at this that we will then do a one hour commentary uh, like a non-scripted commentary on that particular episode where steve could ask me questions stuff that i didn't include because with one hour you got to get right to the point uh, and then we'll do the one hour commentary show and this will be released on a separate channel uh, 
which I'll tell you guys what that's going to be soon. I already started setting it up. I've got the name. I think I've got the branding down. I think it's going to be fun. So I'm hoping to have a demo done, the first show, probably within uh, a couple of weeks because I want to get it right. And then once I have the formula, I'll follow that formula and we'll release uh, one of those a week in the beginning and then move up to two a week um, and try to push that out and reach people that listen to true crime. Because as far as I'm concerned, based on the, I listened to probably pieces of 16 or 17 shows, based on the 16 or 17 shows I listened to, this is a better show. Now, obviously, I know in this world that things don't seem as they appear, all right? So a lot of these other folks, they are owned by different producers and publishers, and they're pushed out there, and they're elevated just like influencers in our space. So to think you're going to create a show, and just because it's better, it's more intriguing, it's got better information, it's produced better, all of a sudden you're going to go viral and it's going to be the hottest thing, it's just not true. And because we're obviously not sold out, we don't have a big publisher or producer behind us, we have to do it on our own. But I think it could pick up traction. So it's sort of a true crime mystery meets Black Mirror. And then hopefully folks that listen to it will start to realize that the real serial murderers, the ones that matter, are in positions of power globally from the bankers the elected officials the ceos the bigwig scientists the celebrities the entertainers all part of the real serial killing all right talk about killing three people these folks are working towards engineering humanity out of existence so look out for that folks we're going to be doing that and then uh, also i've got a bunch of guests slated for this show that are going to be coming up soon we're going to mix those in between the rest of this ted kaczynski stuff uh which i have to finish getting through i actually was having a conversation with some folks over the last couple of days who were fascinated by this uh they had not read industrial society in its future but they were aware of it and I actually told them what exactly was in it. And it talks about genetic modification and all these things that we're seeing happen now. And they were quite uh, quite fascinated. So hopefully they will listen to the show. So we're going to get through this Kaczynski stuff. We're about to get into the MK Ultra side of this and what Henry Murray, Ted's professor at Harvard, going back to 1958, was doing his ties to intelligence. I found some more information that shows Harvard receiving CIA money. And then once we get through this, we are going to do, I believe I'm going to do cycle of civilizations. And I'm going to just show you how civilizations, you know, basically start with freedom. They grow into tyranny. They collapse. They go back to freedom. And the reason why I want to point this out to you through Dr. Stephen Tainter's speech is because there's folks reaching out to me going, listen, even if we break away and we move to a homestead, then all of a sudden... Our kids are going to do this, the government comes in, and then eventually it comes back to a technocracy. Yes, that's going to happen. But you could be the one who actually breaks the cycle and brings it back to nature. Uh, Bring your family back to nature, ground them back in nature. And then, yeah, okay, then your kids, your grandkids will decide eventually what occurs. 
that's fine. But you actually did the responsible thing. And you have to understand, civilizations are just like life, okay? They're born, we live, we die. The same with the civilization. It's born, it lives, it goes through its cycle, and eventually it dies. And that's okay. But you don't have to continue to push your family further into the technocracy. You could make the clean break, bring them back to nature, and then let them decide, in the future but you did the responsible thing so we're going to be talking um more about that stuff with some of our guests i've got dan Golvach, good friend of mine he wants to come back on now that we had a couple of the religious conversations with dana and with mark from pain.tv slash gold and then i've got some uh, pastors uh, not connected to the pain.tv platform that are going to come on as well so we've got a lot of interesting stuff wide awake jim's going to come back he's ready to schedule three more episodes as you know he's going through his hundreds of pages of documents from the bank for international settlements international monetary fund the united nations world economic forum and then i've got a whole another series on uh peter Thiel ready to go with a bunch of new research that i have put together so folks when we come back from this short break we're going to jump right back into the atlantic.com piece on uh, ted kaczynski we're going to try to finish that up today so i can move forward into the mk ultra aspect and show you all the different connections all right that we put together between our past research here on the show and exactly what is um you know, what has come out over the years, stuff researchers have missed, and how we can start to connect a lot of these dots. And then we'll explain why this all matters to you or why it should matter to you. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv all right ladies and gentlemen we are back this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks, we're back at the Atlantic.com and we're going to pick back up where we left off in episode 145. Which, by the way, I'm, I'm glad you guys reached out to me on all that vaccine stuff I shared at the beginning of 145. I want to thank you um, for asking me to post the flyer i put it up at twitter at hackable animal and i also put it up over at pain.tv slash gold if you guys are interested that's the flyer we picked up at willie g's pediatrician on all of the ingredients in vaccines and the cdc vaccine schedule you do with it what you so choose folks but uh it was great that we picked that up at a doctor so thank you for reaching out to me on this so we're going to pick up here the atlantic.com We'll jump right back in where we left off. If you remember, we are in this uh, section here in the article talking about general education and the culture of despair. And this had to do with the history of general education courses in the colleges 
and universities. So if you haven't listened to 145, I suggest you do so because there's some really fascinating information in there. Uh, let's pick up. It says Gen Ed, general education, had more than an intellectual impact, according to a study of Harvard and Radcliffe undergraduates that included Kaczynski's class of 1962, conducted by William G. Perry Jr., the director of the university's Bureau of Study Council. The undergraduate curriculum had a profound impact on the emotions, the attitudes, and even the health of some students. Now, you remember, Kaczynski went to Harvard in 1958, at age 16, graduated in 1962. It goes on to say, according to Perry, intellectual development for Harvard and Radcliffe undergraduates typically encompassed a progression from a simplistic, quote, dualistic, end quote, view of reality to an increasingly relativistic, end quote, contingent, end quote, one. Entering freshmen tend to favor simple over complex solutions and to divide the world into truth and falsehood, good and bad, friend and foe. Yet in most of their college courses, especially in the social sciences and the humanities, they are taught that truth is relative. Most accept this, but a number cannot. They react against relativism by clinging more fiercely to an absolute view of the world. To some of these students, in Perry's words, quote, science and mathematics still seem to offer hope, end quote. Nevertheless, Perry wrote, quote, regression into dualism, end quote, is not a happy development for it, quote, calls for an enemy, end quote. Dualists in a relativistic environment tend to see themselves as surrounded. They become increasingly lonely and alienated. This attitude, quote, requires an equally absolutistic rejection of any establishment and can call forth in its defense hate, projection, and denial of all distinctions but one, end quote, Perry wrote. Quote, the tendency is toward paranoia, end quote. As is evident in his writings, Kaczynski rejected the complexity and relativism he found in the humanities and the social sciences. He embraced both the dualistic cognitive style of mathematics and general education's anti-technology message. And perhaps most important, he absorbed the message of positivism, which demanded value-neutral reasoning and preached that as Kaczynski would later express in his journal, quote, there was no logical justification for morality, end quote. And, and as I've, I pointed out here before, the reason why I wasn't stopping and commenting on all of this, I pointed out before, it, this is um, a philosophical discussion that I would eventually like to have. Unfortunately, to me, there's not, um, there's not really a true answer here because you're going to put... You're going to be talking about this idea of having uh, a societal culture under the banner, let's say in the United States, under the banner American flag, or whether or not that's just propaganda pushed upon you by the governmental system to drive you into the system, to make you part of the society. And 
Some people want this. If you step away and you say you don't have this, well, then what actually bonds us together? What keeps us together? Uh, Which I think you need in a society like this. But if we're actually all broken up into small homesteads, each living on a thousand acres, do you really need that? Again, it's a philosophical conversation. And I don't want to start bringing all that in because it's going to confuse. I think it will confuse everything else. And it's a conversation that would be better for me to have with a guest. Uh, rather than me uh, preach to you my beliefs on this. And um, I consider myself to be a pretty nuanced guy. I've changed a lot over the last 10 years. I used to be very rigid in my beliefs. uh, And I considered myself to be patriotic. I was about defending the country and the Constitution. A lot of that has changed because, in my opinion, based on everything I have read and studied, That is just a farce. It's a facade. It's an illusion. Uh, And we are actually living under a worldwide technocracy. And so to even argue the Constitution or restoring America, to me, is actually an exercise in futility. Uh, It goes on to say, after he graduated from Harvard, Kaczynski encountered a book by the French philosopher Jacques Ellul, The Technological Society, 1954. Its message was that mankind no longer saw technology as merely a tool, but now pursued its advancement as an end in itself. And uh, I've read that book, and we're going to do some reviews on that in the future. It's The Technological Society by Jacques Ellul. And um, that's a very important thing. Let me just repeat that. It says, its message was that mankind no longer saw technology as merely a tool, but now pursued its advancement as an end in itself. And that's important because I've explained to you with uh, Willie G, my son, he's going to be raised... Uh, out in nature, but also understanding technology. And technology will be taught to him as a tool, just like a shovel, just like a chainsaw. It's not a way of life, and you definitely don't want to merge with it, nor do you want to have to rely on it. Um, I've talked to several people building homesteads who are saying, listen, we're going to do a wood-burning stove, maybe a wood-burning furnace. So we have it. Now, we'd like to have electricity, but we have the backup. So you're not always relying on electricity. You look at the public utilities, these technologies, I think, as luxuries. Okay, not necessities as luxuries, and then you have the backup so that you can go off the grid or when you're forced to go off the grid because they do a, uh, a power grid shutdown or something, you have the ability to survive because you've already built that into your plan. All right, let's continue. Society served technology, not vice versa. Individuals were valued only insofar as they served this end. Their education and the structure of their institutions were shaped solely for the purpose of technological progress. All right, and that comes right out of uh, Technocracy Incorporated from the 1920s and 1930s that we have reviewed here in great detail. Goes on to say, by the time he encountered Alul Kaczynski, recalled in 1998, quote, I had already developed at least 50% of the ideas of that book on my own. And when I read the book for the first time, I was delighted because I thought, here is someone who is saying what I have already been thinking, end quote. All right, we're going to enter into the next section here, folks. And this is the Murray Experiment. Uh, this is where we're going to get into uh, MK Ultra. 
It says, perhaps no figure at Harvard at this time better embodied the ongoing war between science and humanism than Henry A. Harry was his nickname, Murray. Henry A. Murray, people call him Harry. A professor in Harvard's Department of Social Relations, which is interesting because uh, there was a Dr. Henry Jekyll. I don't know if you guys know him. Right from the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was Dr. Henry Jekyll, who's actually referred to as Harry in uh, several of the spinoffs of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It says a wealthy and blue-blooded New Yorker, Murray was both a scientist and a humanist, and he was one of Lewis Mumford's best friends. He feared for the future of civilization in an age of nuclear weapons and advocated implementing the agenda of the World Federalist Association, which called for a single world government. Yes, Quite a humanist, folks. The atomic bomb, Murray wrote in a letter to Mumford, quote, is the logical and predictable result of the course we have been madly pursuing for a hundred years, end quote. The choice now facing humanity, he added, was, quote, one world or no world, end quote. Now, this is important, ladies and gentlemen. So you have the World Federalist Association calling for a single world government, right? And this guy, Henry Murray, this professor at Harvard, was advocating for this. Wait until you see what this gentleman was involved with before he was at Harvard here. Now, remember, we're looking at this period, 1958 to 1962, when Ted Kaczynski was at Harvard, and they messed with his mind, this guy, Henry Murray. Wait until you see what Henry Murray was actually doing uh, before he was at Harvard and the position he was in inside of our government and was someone who advocated for a world government. All right? I, I mean, is this, is this clear to you? This gentleman is advocating for a world government from inside our government, and you'll see he was at the highest levels of intelligence. Um, it says the choice... Oh, here, let's see. Uh, let, let, let's just go back and repeat that. He feared for the future of civilization in an age of nuclear weapons and advocated implementing the agenda of the World Federalist Association, which called for a single world government. The atomic bomb, Murray wrote in a letter to Mumford, quote, is the logical and predictable result of the course we have been madly pursuing for a hundred years, end quote. The choice now facing humanity, he added, was, quote, one world or no world, end quote. Yet, unlike Mumford, Murray maintained a deep faith in science. He saw it as offering a solution by helping to transform the human personality. Quote, the kind of behavior that is required by the present threat, end quote, Murray wrote Mumford, quote, involves transformations of personality such as never occurred quickly in human history, one transformation being that of national man into world man, end quote. Guys, just what I was talking about there uh, when I was talking about chef's table, right? Because of mass communication and travel, we have destroyed our local cultures. And right here, you have this guy, Henry Murray. You're going to see how important he was in our history, talking about 
transforming men from national men to world men talking about how we save humanity is to transform the human personality so we're going to use science to transform humanity to fit humanity into the new society created by technocracy wow wow this is why i go through these articles in full folks because you pick up so many details and there's a lot of people who wrote great articles on this stuff over the years so many people just brush over it this is a gold mine goes on to say crucial to achieving this change was learning the secret of successful relationships between people communities and nations and coming to understand these quote unusually successful relations end quote was the object of murray's particular research the interplay between two individuals which he called the quote dyad end quote d y a d all right ladies and gentlemen Absorb that because it's about to get really wild from this point forward. I I mean, I can't wait. It's like I want to skip ahead, but I can't skip ahead. I've got to do this in order. I've got to lay the foundation for you uh, before I show you what this guy was involved with. I mean, this stuff is going to blow your mind. Seriously. I I mean, honestly, I, I literally had to wrap duct tape around my head so it wouldn't explode while i was reading this stuff all right when i get back let's try to get through this so i can get to the really really exciting stuff but i'm telling you our government is just so evil folks and i'm not here to bash america government government any government is just so evil wait until you see what this guy henry murray was doing ladies and gentlemen i'll be right back this is dust of gold with the dust of gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold Listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Pain.tv slash gold. Alright, let's continue here. The concept of the dyad was in a sense. Murray's attempt to build a bridge between psychology and sociology. Rather than follow Freud and Jung by identifying the individual as the fundamental atom in the psychological universe, Murray chose the dyad, the smallest social unit, and in this way sought to unite psychiatry, which studied the psyches of individuals, and sociology, which studied social relations. This kind of research, he apparently hoped, might, as he put it in a 1947 paper, promote, quote, the survival and further evaluation of modern man, end quote, by encouraging the emergence of the new, quote, world man, end quote, and making world peace more likely. So he wanted to engineer men into world men to make peace more likely again folks we could have just rolled this back and went back to nature but this is one of those technocratic transhumanists who wants to push people further into the technological prison planet and actually start to manipulate and engineer their minds to fit into what is the technocrats world view this is what kaczynski was writing about 
in industrial society and, his, uh, and its future, warning us that we were entering this time that we could not come back from, where instead of engineering society to fit the needs of man, we begin engineering man to fit into the society engineered by the engineers. Goes on to say, Murray's interest in the dyad, however, may have been more than merely academic. The curiosity of this complex man appears to have been impelled by two motives, one idealistic and the other somewhat less so. He lent his talents to national aims during World War II. Forrest Robinson, the author of a 1992 biography of Murray, wrote that during this period he, quote, flourished as a leader in the global crusade of good against evil, end quote. He was also an advocate of world government. Murray saw understanding the dyad, it seems, as a practical tool in the service of the Great Crusade in both its hot and cold phases. He had long shown interest, for example, in the whole subject of brainwashing. I mean, folks, right there, okay? So, and and this is all true. This author's telling the truth. I mean, this is all part of what has come out in the official narrative. So, you've got this Murray guy who is a globalist. You know, he wants a world government. All right? He wants to manipulate people's minds to fit into this structure. And he looks at things as good against evil well he obviously thought he was good this is what i told you the ones who look in the mirror every morning mirror mirror on the wall who is the goodest of them all and they look at themselves as good are more dangerous than the ones that actually know they're evil and so you start manipulating people's minds and trying to force them to live into your vision of a one world government are you good or are you evil Is it black and white? Can it be black and white? Is it gray? Have the lines blurred? Um, See, again, this is is a philosophical discussion here. Uh, But when you start manipulating people's minds to fit into your vision, I see that you are trying to play God, or as I brought up with Dana, maybe they are actually embracing the role of the anti-God. It goes on to say, during the war, Murray served in the Office of Strategic Services. And, and we're going to get into this in depth, folks. All right, in depth. Office of Strategic Services. I'll show you what that's all about. I don't want to break away right now and show you everything I have because um, it'll muddy the water. So let's get through this and then we'll do a further investigation with the in-depth research I have on all of this. So it says, during the war, Murray served in the Office of Strategic Services, the forerunner of the CIA, helping to develop psychological screening tests for applicants, and according to Timothy Leary, monitoring military experiments on brainwashing. Yes, Timothy Leary was testing out LSD at the time that Murray was in charge of this department at Harvard. So Murray actually oversaw Timothy Leary in LSD experiments. And I'll connect all this together for you because I know you're sitting there going, wait a second, was Harvard getting MKUltra money through Sidney Gottlieb that you covered here on the Dust and Gold Standard? And I will show you all of that, folks. Goes on to say, in his book, 1979, John Marks reported that General Wild Bill Donovan, the director 
of the Office of Strategic Services, quote, called in Harvard psychology professor Henry Harry Murray, end quote, to devise a system for testing the suitability of applicants to the Office of Strategic Services. Murray and his colleagues, quote, put together an assessment system that tested a recruit's ability to stand up under pressure, to be a leader, to hold liquor, to lie skillfully, and to read a person's character by the nature of his clothing. Murray's system became a fixture in the Office of Strategic Services, end quote. And folks, don't you worry, because we have it. Up on the screen here, you'll see this is called Assessment of Men, Selection of Personnel for Office of Strategic Services. This is a 565-page document, ladies and gentlemen. All right, this goes on to say one of the tests that Murray devised for the OSS was intended to determine how well applicants withstood interrogations, as he and his colleagues described it in their 1948 report, Selection of Personnel for Clandestine Operations, Assessment of Men, end quote. I'm going to read this really quick for you, but look, so this is 1948, folks. This is 10 years before... Ted Kaczynski shows up at Harvard at 16 years old for this butcher to uh, manipulate his mind. It goes on to say here, this is from Assessment of Men, the candidate immediately went downstairs to the basement room. A voice from within commanded him to enter, and on complying, he found himself facing a spotlight strong enough to blind him for a moment. The room was otherwise dark. Behind the spotlight sat a scarcely discernible board of inquisitors. The interrogator gruffly ordered the candidate to sit down. When he did so, he discovered that the chair in which he sat was so arranged that the full strength of the beam was focused directly on his face. At first, the questions were asked in a quiet, sympathetic, conciliatory manner to invite confidence after a few minutes however the examiner worked up a crescendo in a dramatic fashion when an inconsistency appeared he raised his voice and lashed out at the candidate often with sharp uh, sarcasm he might even roar quote you're a liar end quote goes on to say even anticipation of this test was enough to cause some applicants to fall apart the authors wrote that one person quote insisted he could not go through with the test end quote they continued quote a little later the director found the candidate in his bedroom sitting on the edge of his cot sobbing end quote very nice guys very nice guys this is all to pick intelligence officers. And this was all taking place at the CIA's farm, folks. I believe Mike Porras said he went through some uh, intelligence training at the farm. So I'm sure he's familiar with assessment of men. Goes on to say, before the war, Murray had been the director of the Harvard Psychological Clinic. After the war, Murray returned to Harvard, where he continued to refine techniques of personality assessment. In 1948, he sent a grant application to the Rockefeller Foundation. Our friends over there, the Rockefellers, folks. So he sends an application to the Rockefeller Foundation proposing, quote, the development of a system of procedures for testing the suitability of officer candidates for the Navy, end quote. Now, you're asking the Rockefellers for money, guys who want to control the entire world, this was well known at that time as well 
And yet you claim you want to help all men bring together world peace under this one world government. You want to turn people into robotic Android drones, pal. Uh, Pretty obvious, folks. Pretty obvious. It goes on to say, but 1950, he had resumed studies on Harvard undergraduates that had begun in rudimentary form before the war titled, quote, multi-form assessments of personality development among gifted college men, end quote. The experiment in which Kaczynski participated was the last and most elaborate in the series. In their post-war form, these experiments focused on stressful dyadic relations, designing confrontations akin to those mock interrogations he had helped to orchestrate for the OSS, the Office of Strategic Services. So as you can see, what's going on here, folks? Uh, and there's been people who've asked, was this part of MK Ultra? We're going to get into that. I'm going to show you uh, connections that were going on here. So this guy is running these type of experiments at Harvard. He goes and he volunteers, and he was a lieutenant colonel at the time he was doing this, to run these experiments uh, for the OSS with assessment of men out of the farm at the CIA. And then this ended up spreading all over the world. We put this system into place at many military bases around the world and actually assessment for men became the foundation for how companies choose robotic managers to run all of their departments now you ask yourself i mean let's put this in context let's be honest about this you say to yourself in in the world we're in today how the hell do these companies get all of the managers middle managers and such to run these departments to help build the technologies needed to create the technocracy the uh, worldwide technological prison planet system how do you get these managers to oversee frankenstein genetic modification experiments well if they're being run through a manual created off of the research that henry murray did with assessment for men, and this is how companies are choosing candidates. Not that this is a conspiracy anymore. Now it's just part of the culture. You're choosing robots to run departments that just do what they're told, right? And then all the employees from scientists to engineers to computer programmers are just going to work. They don't ask questions. They work at Google. Oh, you want me to build a brain scanner that works from the flicker rate of the screen of the iPhone? Okay, yeah, we'll work on that. And they just do whatever they're told and this is how you built this worldwide technocratic system folks so henry murray this guy who manipulated ted kaczynski mind uh ted kaczynski's mind plays an instrumental role in exactly what we are seeing going on today that's why it's so important to dig into these stories and try to understand them you didn't think that the paper industrial society in its future that came out in 95 just came out of nowhere just came out of the mind of a madman just came out of the mind of just someone who sat at a computer and just thought hey what the hell sit down on my computer and type this of course back then he was supposedly typing on a typewriter in a cabin i'm just going to type this little paper here and uh, i'm going to kill a couple people and release this to the newspaper now folks if it was in fact ted kaczynski if the official narrative is true who wrote this then this is the foundation of where all of this information came from but as you can see this is all about manipulating people controlling people and one of the things we'll talk about later as we get into assessment of men in more detail 
were they actually helping weed out certain people from the military that they could bring in as intelligence officers into the OSS uh, at Harvard? Were they running these experiments to see how these very intelligent young college men can stand up to the tests of torture? Or were they creating uh, Manchurian candidates very similar to what we've seen in, say, the, the Denzel Washington, Lee Shriver version of Manchurian candidate? That would probably be the one that most people are familiar with, with that movie. Is that what they were doing? Were they actually creating these people that then they would plant throughout the country in positions of power? You know, in Congress, in the Senate, you know, in the White House, in the CEO positions, boards of directors. Uh, are these guys all manipulated? Is that how all this stuff seems to work in sync? How this conspiracy seems to work in sync? I don't know. Do I think it's possible? Yeah, I definitely think it's possible. I do believe in um, all this mind control and manipulation. I definitely think they can do it. Because they program our kids since they're little, and you see the way that some of them turn out. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. Let me take a short break because this is a lot to absorb. Think about this stuff. When we come back, let's get deeper into Professor Henry Murray. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Dustin Gold of the Dustin Gold Standard, right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. My name is Dustin Gold of the Dustin Gold Standard Podcast right here on Pain. Dot TV slash gold. All right, folks, let's continue here from the Atlantic.com. It says it was the confluence of two streams of development that transformed Ted Kaczynski into the Unabomber. One stream was personal, fed by his anger toward his family and those he felt had slighted or hurt him in high school and college. The other derived from philosophical critique of society and its institutions and reflected the culture of despair he encountered at Harvard and later. The Murray experiment containing both psychological and philosophical components may well have fed both streams. Gradually, while he was immersed in his Harvard readings and in the Murray experiment, Kaczynski began to put together a theory to explain his unhappiness and anger. Technology and science were destroying liberty and nature. The system of which Harvard was a part served technology, which in turn required conformism. By advertising propaganda and other techniques of behavior modification, the system sought to transform men into automatons to serve the machine. Now, folks, can you argue, can you argue against this theory here? Because it says this is Kaczynski's theory to explain unhappiness and anger. Technology and science, destroying liberty and nature. I mean, we can see all this. We can see all this, right? And then with advertising propaganda and other techniques of behavior modification, the system sought to transform men 
into automatons to serve the machine. Well, we know this is true. And actually, this grows out of the technocracy movement of the early 1900s. I mean, we've, we've reviewed that here. I mean, this fits so perfectly into that. It goes on to say, thus did Kaczynski's Harvard experiences shape his anger and legitimize his wrath. By the time he graduated, all the elements that would ultimately transform him into the Unabomber were in place. The ideas out of which he would construct a philosophy, the unhappiness, the feelings of complete isolation. Soon after so, two would be his commitment to killing embracing the value-neutral message of Harvard's positivism. Morality was non-rational, made him feel free to murder. Within four years of graduating from Harvard, he would be firmly fixed in his life's plan. According to an autobiography he wrote that chronicled his life until the age of 27, quote, I thought, I will kill but I will make at least some effort to avoid detection so that I can kill again, end quote. Both Kaczynski's philosophy and his decision to go into the wilderness were set by the summer of 1966. This is four years after he graduated Harvard. It says after his fourth year as a graduate student at the University of Michigan, where incidentally students had rated him an above average instructor. It was then Sally Johnson wrote that, quote, he decided that he would do what he always wanted to do, to go to Canada, to take off in the woods with a rifle and try to live off the country. If it doesn't work, and if I can get back to civilization before I starve, then I will come back here and kill someone I hate, end quote. This was also when he decided to accept the teaching position at Berkeley, not in order to launch an academic career, but to earn a grub stake sufficient to support him in the wilderness. In 1971, Kaczynski wrote an essay containing most of the ideas that later appeared in the manifesto. Quote, in these pages, end quote, it began, quote, it is argued that continued scientific and technical progress will inevitably result in the extinction of individual liberty, end quote. It was imperative that this juggernaut be stopped, Kaczynski went on. This could not be done by simply, quote, popularizing a certain libertarian philosophy, quote, unless, quote, that philosophy is accompanied by a program of concrete action, end quote. At that time, Kaczynski still had some hope of achieving his goals by peaceful means, by establishing, quote, an organization dedicated to stopping federal aid to scientific research, end quote. Wow. He was ahead of his time, ladies and gentlemen, because look at everything we covered here. (laughs) Everything that stems from the government, right, from the state, ends up in the hands of these universities it ends up in these companies we do it through government contracts through grants and everything else folks it all stems from the state that's why i told you there is no deep state there is only the state goes on to say it would not be long before he decided this was fruitless the same year johnson wrote he was quote thinking seriously about and planning to murder a scientist end quote Meanwhile, he began to practice what radical environmentalists call, quote, monkey wrenching, end quote, 
sabotaging or stealing equipment and setting traps and stringing wires to harm intruders into his wilderness domain. Later in the 1970s, he began experimenting with explosives. In 1978, he launched his campaign of terrorism with the bomb that injured Terry Marker. Goes on in the next section called The Evils of Intelligence. Today, Ted Kaczynski is serving four life terms in a maximum security prison in Florence, Colorado. Now, as I told you, he has now moved to another prison because he supposedly has cancer. Goes on to say, out of sight, he is not out of play. His manifesto continues to be read at colleges around the country. Through letters, he maintains relations with many people he knew before his arrest. And although most Americans are morally repulsed by the Unabomber's terrorism, Many accept his anti-technology views and silently tolerate extremist actions on behalf of saving, quote, wild nature, end quote. Kaczynski has attracted a large new following of admirers. Indeed, he has become an inspiration and a sort of leader in exile for the burgeoning, quote, green anarchist, end quote, movement. In a letter to me, Kaczynski made clear that he keeps in contact with other anarchists, including John Zerzan, the intellectual leader of a circle of anarchists in Eugene, Oregon, who was among the few people to visit Kaczynski while he was in jail in Sacramento awaiting trial. Now, you do know, folks, we just have to point this out. Every letter written by Kaczynski and every letter written to Kaczynski would have been read by the prison guards especially with someone like Kaczynski. So he didn't have any secret writings back and forth. Everything uh, was read. So if there were any plans concocted on the outside, this would be picked up by the prison guards, turned over to the FBI, handed off to intelligence. So this is probably how a lot of stuff was manipulated and um, they put out undercover federal agents and such. Goes on to say, according to the Boston Globe, Teresa Kintz, one of Zerzin's fellow anarchists, was the first writer to whom Kaczynski granted an interview after his arrest. Writing for the London-based Green Anarchist, Kintz quoted Kaczynski as saying, quote, for those who realize the need to do away with the techno-industrial system, if you work for its collapse in effect, you are killing a lot of people, end quote. The Los Angeles, and that's important. He talks about that in industrial society and its future. You know, what's worse, to let technocracy run its course, which this is me, I believe it ends with the engineering of humanity out of existence, or to work to collapse technocracy, which will also kill a lot of people because the majority of people cannot survive without the technological system. He believes that it's better to roll the dice with trying to collapse the technological system because technocracy ends with the removal of all human freedom whatsoever. Okay, it goes on to say, the Los Angeles Times has reported that last June, 200 of Zerzan's comrades rioted in Eugene, smashing computers, breaking shop windows, throwing bricks at cars, and injuring eight police officers. According to the Seattle Times, followers of Zerzan's also arrived in force at last December's, quote, Battle of Seattle, end quote, at the World Trade Organization meeting, where they smashed shop windows, flattened tires, 
cars and dumped garbage cans on the streets. Now, it'd be interesting to know, and I'm not, I'm not going to investigate this, uh, were those controlled opposition? Was that really a war against the technocratic system, or was that some sort of a January 6th type operation where what they did is they went out there like an Antifa, smashed computers, and then what, what it was like a reverse psychology that got the majority of folks out there to embrace technology like these guys are crazy we love our computers we all oh, these guys are we need to go further into the technocratic system so you never really know when a psyop ensues it goes on to say kaczynski continues to comment approvingly on the violent exploits of environmental radicals in a letter he wrote last year to the denver television reporter rick salinger he expressed his support for the earth liberation front's arsonists at the vale ski resort fires that destroyed more than 12 million dollars worth of property all right ladies and gentlemen so this is back again in 2000, uh, you're starting to see what shaped Kaczynski. Again, this is written by a gentleman who went to Harvard around the same time as Kaczynski and also found himself moving out into the wilderness of Montana into a place with no electricity and no running water. And so he's writing this piece. And I thought this was important because it brings a lot of elements into the discussion that we could then do further investigations on. So when I get back, we're going to work to finish this up today. Ladies and gentlemen, I will be right back. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. All right, it goes on to say here, folks, quote, I fully approve of the arson, end quote, he wrote Salinger. Quote, and I congratulate the people who carried it out, end quote. Kaczynski went on to commend an editorial in the Earth First Journal by Kintz, who wrote, quote, the Earth Liberation Front's eco-sabotage of Vail constituted a political act of conscience, perfectly in keeping with the sincere expression of the biocentric paradigm many Earth Firsters espouse, end quote. It is unlikely that Kaczynski will someday be a free man again, but it is not impossible. Although he pleaded guilty in January of 1998 to the Unabomber crimes, that outcome is currently under appeal. He claims that his attorneys deceived him and acted against his wishes by preparing a, quote, mental defect, end quote, defense for him, and that by allowing this to happen, the court violated his Sixth Amendment right to direct his own defense. The Ninth Circuit Court has agreed to hear this appeal, and a new trial is a possibility. Some, including me, believe that if Kaczynski does win a new trial, he will argue that his killings were necessary in order to save the world from a great evil, namely technology. 
Most legal experts believe that this would be an unpersuasive and even suicidal defense strategy, leading directly to a guilty verdict and a sentence of death. But apparently Kaczynski would rather die a martyr for his ideas than live out his life in prison. At any rate, his essential point is correct. The Unabomber is not only a killer, but a sane one. He is a terrorist like Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, and Ramzi Ahmad Youssef, the World Trade Center bomber. And like them, he is evil. But what kind of evil? This is the author talking here. He says, the real story of Ted Kaczynski is one of the nature of modern evil. Evil that results from the corrosive powers of intellect itself and its arrogant tendency to put ideas above common humanity. It stems from our capacity to conceive theories or philosophies that promote violence or murder in order to avert supposed injustices or catastrophes, to acquiesce in historical necessity, or to find the final solution to the world's problem. And by this process of abstraction to dehumanize our enemies, we become like Ras. Kolnikov in Crime and Punishment, who declares, quote, I did not kill a human being, but a principal, end quote. Now, what's, what's fascinating here, folks, is you're talking about, the author is talking about Kaczynski uh, killing people, right, to justify his, you know, war against the technological system. At the same time, uh, Henry Murray, the professor, is walking free when he wanted to manipulate everyone's mind to drive them into a world government to achieve what? World peace, as he says. Well, what was Kaczynski trying to do? Uh, murder people and fight a war to bring people back to nature to achieve what? World peace and harmony with nature. So you say to yourself, uh, what is the difference? I mean, I mean look, I, I am not sitting here and justifying Ted Kaczynski's murders. I don't know any of the people that he killed personally. I haven't talked to their families. But the point I'm making is that he, and I, I brought this up on a past show, he believed he was waging a war against an enemy, a technological system. Well, when the United States or any other country goes to war and orders young kids boys and girls now, to kill other people. It's to do what? Spread their ideology, supposedly, when in fact it's really about stealing natural resources and putting in pipelines and such, but spreading ideology. We must bring them democracy, like George Bush with uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, right? We must go there and change the hearts and minds. We must spread democracy, <laughs> right? So we go over there and we do that to spread technology, to bring them the industrial boom that they so need to make them into a developing country on their track to a first world nation, an industrialized nation, of which at that point they'll be called polluters. They're polluters when they're indigenous, and then they become polluters once they're industrialized. And then the solution is to drive them into a central bank digital currency system, as we see what's happening right now. So you have Kaczynski fighting a battle to try to bring world peace by reuniting humans with nature at the same time you have henry murray wanting to manipulate minds for the government who also murders people to bring them into harmony with a one world government structure 
honestly, who's more evil at that point? If you want to want to look at this uh, as good versus evil, uh, or the lesser of two evils, goes on to say, guided by theories, philosophies, and ideologies. The worst mass killers of modern history transform their victims into depersonalized abstractions, making them easier to kill. Much the way Stalin, citing communist dogma, ordered the murder of millions of peasants toward, quote, the elimination of the kulaks as a class, end quote. So Kaczynski rationalized his murders as necessary to solve, quote, the technology problem, end quote. The conditions that produce violence continue to flourish. Despite their historically unprecedented affluence, many middle-class Americans, particularly the educated elite, are still gripped by despair. The education system continues to promote bleak visions of the future, meanwhile alienating ideologies, offering the false promise of quick solutions through violence, uh, proliferate. Well, I mean, think about the biggest solution that we're always facing, which is violence, which is violence against humanity. It's technology. We can solve these problems quickly with more technology. We need more technology, more vaccines, more health care, more life extension, more robots, more artificial intelligence, and that will bring peace on Earth. Goes on to say, almost, uh, sorry, although... Most Americans strongly condemn terrorist acts committed in the name of political agendas, of which they do not approve. Many turn a blind eye towards savagery done in the name of ideals they share. Uh, Yeah, like war. Indeed, many are reasonably comfortable with violence short of murder, as long as it's done for a cause they support. It was easy for Americans to unite in the condemning. Uh, the World Trade Center and Oklahoma City bombings because few approved of the bombers' goals, the destruction of the state of Israel and of the United States government. But some conservatives seem to be untroubled by anti-abortion bombings or by the rise of armed militias, and some liberals consistently condone or ignore the proliferation of terrorism putatively committed on behalf of animals or the environment, right? So you'll cheer on violence when the violence is on your side. That's what the author is basically saying. Goes on to say, not surprisingly then, ideologically inspired violence has become increasingly commonplace, tolerated and sometimes even praised. Just after the bombing at the 1996 Atlanta Olympics, the Wall Street Journal noted that terrorism, quote, has become a part of life, end quote. And uh, again, this is in 2000. Look at all the other violent movements that have arisen since then. All right. I mean, just look at what Antifa was doing. Uh, BLM was doing. I mean, you know, not, not, I mean, even January 6th, in a sense, you know, people cheer it on. If it fits their agenda, goes on to say, according to the FBI, explosive and incendiary bombings doubled during the first four years of the 1990s. And although the number of such incidents has declined slightly since that time, certain kinds of, quote, single issue, end quote, terrorism, including acts committed on behalf of Kaczynski's cause of choice, quote, saving wild nature, end quote, are becoming increasingly prominent. Last year, the director of the FBI, Louis Free, told Congress, quote, the most recognizable single-issue terrorists at the present time are those involved in the violent animal rights, 
anti-abortion and environmental protection movements. The potential for destruction has increased as terrorists have turned toward large improvised explosive devices to inflict maximum damage, end quote. After concluding a 10-month investigation of this phenomenon, the Portland or, uh, Oregonian reported last fall, quote, escalating sabotage to save the environment has inflicted tens of millions of dollars in damage and placed lives at risk. Arson's bombings and sabotage in the name of saving the environment and its creatures have swept the American West over the last two decades, and Oregon is increasingly the center of it. At least 100 major acts of such violence have occurred since 1980, causing $42.8 million in damages, end quote. Now, I would be very interested, uh, I may do some poking around, but I would be interested to, to figure out, was this organic was this real? Was it really people revolting against the industrial technological system? Or was this just a controlled opposition run by the government for the purpose of tarnishing um, the words of anyone who would speak out against the industrial technological system? Was it set up so that anyone who said to a friend of theirs, you know, this technology is destroying humanity, you would be labeled as a kook, or you would be automatically pinned as one of these, uh, you know, radical environmentalists. People would say, what are you, a follower of Uncle Ted Kaczynski? You're crazy, man. You know, was this all set up and done on purpose so that they could, the government, the state, the technocracy, would be able to control any real backlash, any organic backlash to people that actually wanted to fight back against the technological system? Uh, we could probably investigate this for weeks and go down that path and find out if the government was funneling money to certain organizations and such for the purpose of creating this narrative that if you were fighting back against technocracy, you were one of these crazy terrorists, one of these crazy bombers. You know, the same way we know that January 6th was set up. So anyone speaking out against the government or tyranny are automatically connected in with January 6th. Or I think as the role that someone like Alex Jones kind of plays, you know, all of a sudden you're talking about uh, chimeras and they go, well, what are you, some Alex Jones tinfoil hat wearing guy? Um, and, I, and I, you know, to me, was this an organic movement or did it serve its purpose? Was Kaczynski working for these guys? Is Kaczynski just a made up character? Was Kaczynski a useful idiot? Did the government allow him to run free and do this stuff? Did Henry Murray create him in a laboratory as sort of a Manchurian candidate along with dozens of others, set him free and hoped that something like this would happen and then let him do this for 25 years because they could continue to use the image of a crazed madman terrorist who was then brought to the point where he releases this manifesto explaining the technological system and the destruction of humanity only to then tarnish him and connect him to all these murders so that people go, well, I, I, I don't want to adopt the uh, ideology of a murderer.
I mean, it's all very interesting uh, food for thought here. We know the government concocts all types of psychological warfare operations. They have controlled opposition, misinformation, and disinformation agents. So why would we not believe that this was just another one? And then it allowed them to continue to push forward with building the technocracy because it's only gotten worse since 1995 when Industrial Society and Future was published in 1996 when Kaczynski was arrested. The technocracy has actually only grown. And around this time, we know that there were books like Earth Brokers, uh, the Anthony Sutton Federal Reserve uh, Bank Book, these things that were starting to come out and expose the technocratic system. Was this a way to shut it all down and put it back in a bottle. I don't know. We'll eventually uh, do some research into that as we go forward in this investigation. We're going to move away from this uh, for several shows and then maybe come back around to it again as we gather more intel in other areas of investigating the technocracy and the transhumanists. And then we'll eventually come back to it. Folks, let me take a short break. When I come back, we'll finish up this article. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks, this goes on over here at theatlantic.com. It says, the Oregonian found that, quote, during the last four years alone, the West has been rocked by 33 substantial incidents with damages reaching $28.8 million, end quote. And although, quote, these crimes started nearly two decades ago, some seem clearly inspired by Edward Abbey's 1975 novel, The Monkey Wrench Gang. They have escalated dangerously, sometimes with the use of bombs in the last six years, end quote. No one other than Kaczynski's three victims has yet been murdered by a fanatical environmentalist, but investigators consider it merely a matter of time before someone else is killed for similar reasons. Quote, I think we've come very close to that line, end quote, one federal agent told the Oregonian, quote, and we will cross that line unless we deal with this problem now end quote now there's a couple paragraphs left i'm going to finish this up and then we're going to have a discussion uh, about this here it says we may cross that line sooner than we think in a september 1998 letter to me kaczynski wrote quote i suspect that you underestimate the strength and depth of feeling against industrial civilization that has been developing in recent years I've been surprised at some of the things that people have written to me. It looks to me as if our society is moving into a pre-revolutionary situation. By that, I don't mean a situation in which revolution is inevitable, but one in which it is a realistic possibility. The majority of people are pessimistic or cynical about existing institutions. There is widespread alienation and directionlessness among young people. Perhaps all that is needed 
is to give these forces appropriate organization and direction, end quote. Seen from that perspective, it might seem that the rest of society is only a few steps behind Kaczynski. When Henry Murray spoke of the need to create a new, quote, world man, end quote, that was not what he had in mind. Or was it? Or was it? People like Kaczynski, if we want to take this at face value, folks, were rebelling against the industrial technological system because they were able to figure out that the industrial technological system is a slave system. It's an anti-human system. It's an anti-liberty system. It's an anti-freedom system. It's a pro-slavery system. It is pro-control, pro-power. All right, and so people like Kaczynski that were revolting against the system, were they good or were they evil? When you think about the folks that sit at the top of the food chain, the Rockefellers and such, sitting behind the curtain at the Bank for International Settlements, International Monetary Fund, you know, the World Banking Central Bank System, what are those folks doing? They are wielding power to gain more control over society. And so when little guys revolt against the system, they recognize the war that has been waged against them, waged against them as individuals, waged against humanity in general. And so when they decide to fight back in both words uh, and with bullets, uh, are they evil for fighting back or are we supposed to just sit there and take it? Well, because these folks control the state, control the governments, we will always be labeled as terrorists. We will always be labeled as radical revolutionaries fighting back against this system, this system of slavery. So if you are a slave who rises up and tries to free yourself from the plantation, you will always be seen as the bad guy. Uh, The law will always be against you. This is why you must think like an outlaw, act like an outlaw, but keep your head down because the vast majority of folks have been socialized into the system. And I know it might make you think that you are crazy because you feel like you are in the vast minority. But if you are truly on the side of liberty and freedom and human autonomy, if you are on the side of nature, and humanity in general, are you the crazy one? Or are the people that just walk around like NPCs, like drones, like cyborgs, like robots within the system, are they the crazy ones that have been completely socialized, socially engineered, brainwashed, mind-controlled to live within the system? Who is the crazy one? It's an interesting question, I think. I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating because I've had to deal with this over the last 20 years of my life. I say, wait, am I the crazy one? Am I the only one who sees this? And then I would meet other people from other walks of life that were able to see it as well. I call them Neos in the movie The Matrix. People that know something is wrong. They could feel it in their DNA. They know that something isn't right. They might not really completely understand it. They might not have the mental capacity to go do all the research and figure it all out and become the Morpheus of the Matrix, the one who unplugs others. But if you 
understand it. If you are doing the research, you need to become the Morpheus in the Matrix and unplug others. All right, now I want to just go back for a moment here. This was the paragraph we opened up this segment with. It was the uh, talking about the uh, crimes. It started nearly two decades ago. Some seem clearly inspired by Edward Abbey's 1975 model uh, novel, The Monkey Wrench Gang. They have escalated dangerously sometimes with the use of bombs in the last six years. It said, quote, no one other than Kaczynski's three victims has yet been murdered by a fanatical environmentalist, but investigators consider it merely a matter of time before someone else is killed for similar reasons, end quote. My question uh, to you is do you see Ted Kaczynski, if we take the story at face value, if the story that has been put out there over the years is true, um, how he grew up, what he experienced at college, what he did in his professional life, how he escaped the nature, do you see Kaczynski as a fanatical environmentalist terrorist, or do you see Kaczynski as someone who believed he was an abolitionist was he trying to truly free humans from the technological slave system and change their ideology back to understanding that they could live in harmony with nature free of the industrialized slave state i mean how do you see him i'm just asking you to think about this before we get into uh more of the mk ultra stuff that was tied into um, this Harvard experiment run by Henry Murray. The second part is uh, the author is pointing out these three victims that were killed by Kaczynski. Again, I'm not excusing that stuff, but um, but the author is is talking about these three victims. What about the victims of the industrial technological system? Okay, what about the victims that are poisoned every day? by our state, by the technocracy, poisoning the air, poisoning the soil, poisoning the water, poisoning the food, genetically modifying food and animals and now humans. What about all the people that are maimed and killed by vaccines, not just the COVID jab, but by other vaccines that have dangerous chemicals that are not tested, that may in fact be designed for the purpose of killing people or making people sick? What about all those? What about the millions of people that have been displaced, driven out of their communities because of the industrial technological system? What about all the indigenous primitive folks that have lost their lands? What about all the organic, true organic, not the new hipster organic, but the original organic farms that go back generations? What about these folks in places like Sicily or right here in Frederick, Maryland, who have all of these new uh, communities built on a 100-acre farmland where they jam 300 condos into them, and they're just destroying the land and packing people in? What about all the folks that now suffer from mental illness, that have become alcoholics and drug addicts because of the industrial technological system? Why isn't anybody talking about this from the perspective that the folks in charge of this system are, in fact, serial killers, genocidal maniacs? They are the terrorists. They are the anti-human, 
anti-nature, anti-environment terrorists, all the people that pose as the saviors, just like the folks that pose as those helping children in CPS or helping bring refugees out of Ukraine into Poland, all these folks that actually turn out to be the child traffickers, hidden in plain sight under the banner of child rescue. What about these folks? Where are these stories? Why isn't this author saying, well, Kaczynski is evil for killing three people and possibly inspiring folks to kill others. But at the same time, the battle he has waged against the industrial technological system run by the bankers, run by the technocrats, run by the transhumanists has killed millions upon millions upon millions. He mentions Stalin in here. You know, we have these boogeymen throughout history, Adolf Hitler, Stalin, Mao, these guys, Pol Pot, that we're supposed to look at, right? But you can't look at the guys that are actually running the world today. You can't look at the elected officials, the congressmen right here in the United States that are puppets of the very system that is working to kill everyone, that have destroyed the food and the air and the water and the soil. You're not allowed to point the finger at Bill Gates and Peter Thiel and Elon Musk and others. They are just upstanding citizens in our society. They are just entrepreneurs. They are just businessmen who are doing great things for the United States to protect us from North Korea and Russia. See, this is the stuff that I find to be fascinating, folks, because, again, this is a philosophical discussion here to talk about whether or not, if you believe, again, the official narrative, is Kaczynski any worse or less worse or more worse than the folks that are actually running the technological prison planet system? Do you believe that the folks that go into these indigenous countries, these third world countries, and fight a war, and fight a war, to destroy it and then come in through the International Monetary Fund and offer money in order to take over that country, to hijack it, steal it, put a central bank in it, industrialize it, build all these machines, drive out the primitive folks, destroy the food, destroy the land, destroy the water. And this is not a case against the precious capitalism everyone talks about. As I said at the beginning of the show, this is not about capitalism, socialism, communism, progressivism, Marxism, fascism. Those are all smokescreens, folks. This is about technocracy. That's the missing piece I had before I started doing this show in my life. I was always looking at each of those individual ideologies, and I was missing the big picture, which is technocracy. That is what is running the world. And it's not just the West, it's now the East, it is now Africa, it is all of these places. We're just going in and finishing off, destroying each of these indigenous societies, destroying the local cultures, destroying the communities. And when I say we, it's because the United States is part of it. Our government is part of it. Uh, What we've created is part of it. Our scientists, our engineers, our soldiers, they're all part of it. And it's not just us. This is in cahoots with the 190 other countries with central banks. We're all part of it. That is the true axis of evil. And we just happen to live under and on this giant slave plantation, yet we don't realize it. Now, if Kaczynski is real, he obviously realized it. And he tried to do something about it. Did he go about it the wrong way, the right way? Who really knows? Uh, It's hard to say, and I'm not going to argue in favor of killing um, 
what, what I, I mean, I don't know the victims personally, but I will say innocent people. It's like, for instance, I want to make a point and get this podcast published on uh, Fox News. So I go out and I, I murder my neighbor because uh, he is a windmill installer down in Texas or something. And I, I mean, you know, at this point, again, 99% of us are guilty of helping build the technocracy, the technological prison planet all around us. We're all part of that system at this point. Uh, Everyone is going to work every day helping build the system. Everyone that's installing smart technology around their house is helping build the system. I'm helping build the system right now, so I'm a hypocrite. As I sit here recording into my phone, and I'll be uploading this onto Spotify and pushing it out to other platforms. I'll be uploading it to pain.tv slash gold. All this is part of the system. I mean, we're fighting a war within the system because, unfortunately, you have to recognize the world as it is today, not the world you want it to be. And if you want it to be a different world, you've got to spread the word. This is why I believe it does not happen through violence. It will only happen with changing the culture, changing the ideology, moving people away from the idea that technology is the solution to curing all of their problems that were created by the very technology that they are now accepting as the solution to cure the problem. See, it's a cycle. It's a constant loop. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I I think that's going to be it because that was a lot to take in, folks. I know it was a lot to take in. So tomorrow when I come back for episode 147, I'm going to show you a little bit more on Henry Murray. We're going to get into just a little history on OSS. I figure it's a good teaching moment. We're going to talk a little bit about assessment of men. I'm going to show you the connections I found to CIA money going into Harvard at the time that they were running experiments on Ted Kaczynski. Because if anyone wants to blame uh, Ted Kaczynski on anyone, it should be blamed on the CIA and the government. You know, if they created this madman. But at the same time, I believe he was somewhat, probably a useful idiot, controlled opposition type that actually was designed to turn people away from the idea of revolting against the technological system. We'll never know. That's just my opinion. And by the end, you'll be able to form your own opinion. But I think you'll be a lot more intelligent. You'll have a lot more knowledge. And you'll have a lot more wisdom. Once we get through the rest of this story, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be back tomorrow. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. The Matrix is a computer generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion. at pain.tv slash gold.